show is brought to you by Gilbert H. Wild and Son, Sun Patience, Arkansas Parks and Tourism, Ralston Family Farms, First Community Bank, and Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art. From Moss Mountain Farm in Arkansas, this is the P. Allen Smith Garden Home Podcast that teaches how to grow, cook, decorate, entertain, and sustain in a manner that embraces our collective past and hope for the future. For more information, log on to pallensmith.com. And for a video replay of this podcast, subscribe to P. Allen Smith's YouTube channel and sign up for notifications. Now here's P. Allen Smith. One of my favorite parts of my job is being able to talk about what I'm passionate about, and that is beauty, art, and nature. And that's what we're all about today. We have taken the show on the road. We're at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville, Arkansas, with a live audience, and we are here to see some amazing exhibitions that are kicking off this gardening season. And with me, I have Stace Treat, who's the interpretation manager here for Crystal Bridges, and he's gonna help us walk through some of these exhibitions. Some I've seen and some I'm looking forward to seeing today. Stace. Excellent, can't yeah, wait to Thank hear. you for being a part of the show. Well, hey, it's a thrill. And I also wanna thank our studio audience that's here. Do you all love art, beauty, and nature? All right, there we go. If you haven't been to Crystal Bridges in Bentonville, Arkansas, you really need to put it on your bucket list because it is fantastic. Um, I'm up here as often as I can, and it seems like every time I come here, there is something new and different to see. I was dazzled yesterday as we were taping here at just the changes that have occurred just in the last six months, Days. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. We are on a pretty fast pace all the time. Uh, we are very uh, exploratory and uh, try to be as innovative as we can be. Um, we want to have a variety of experiences, uh, both inside and out. Um, it seems like every year that I've worked here, which is about four years now for me, uh, we've continually added something new and fresh. Uh, the, of course, our North Forest being one of them in the last couple years. Yeah. Um, uh, Beautiful you, woodland garden. You had yeah. a way, you had a time there yes, yesterday, Yes, just right? yesterday we went through and I was so impressed with what I saw and lots of new plantings, a focus on natives, but they're also integrating some plants that aren't considered North American natives that are deer resistant, yeah. <laughs> which is always appealing to our gardener friends out yeah. there to learn about those plants. But also adds a little pizzazz to the, to the garden as well. Yeah, and we have a, an exhibition out there now called Color Field, uh, which is literally all about color. Now that's the one I want you to really talk about because I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, okay. And it's tied in with this exhibition that's actually here in the museum. Yes, we have an, uh, an exhibition inside called Nature's Nation. Uh, which we'll talk about in a minute as well. But, but Colorfield is this, um, uh, the whole idea behind it comes from uh, a mid 20th century painting um, kind of uh, movement, if you will, called Colorfield painting. Yes. Uh, and a lot of people might be familiar with Jackson Pollock or uh, Helen Frankenthaler mm -hmm. or Mark Rothko, um, uh, Falroth Hines. A lot of these artists were exploring uh, the interrelatedness of color uh, in a very abstract way, right? Yeah. So it was about resisting um, representation and really exploring uh, how color impacts the viewer, uh, how the uh, arrangements of colors uh, can also uh, inspire 
or uh, you know, help people think more about the relationship to color. So what we've done is we decided we would transplant that outside. Uh, and one of the funny, the wonderful fun, idea. Yeah, one of the fun things about that putting it in the forest is you know forests are full of color. Absolutely. And um, in in small ways and large, you know, depending on the season. And so this um, exhibition will actually uh, be up into the fall when we get our fall foliage, which is really big here. Uh, so that it, there will be a changing forest experience as this and is And a changing color palette. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. it's wonderful. My second book was on color, and it, I really, I have to say out of the six books that I've written, the book on color was probably the most uh, satisfying for me as an artist. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think that color, focusing on one element of design, which is what you're doing here, is really fantastic because it allows people to understand that principle in a, in a, in a broad way. I mean, not only in these mid-20th century pictures, but also in how we see it in the landscape. Yeah, and you know, color really, focusing on something, as you just said, uh, really helps to uh, focus your mind, um, help you think in very specific ways. And when you can do that, then you start recognizing relationships with other things and other uh, design elements or artistic points, right? Absolutely. And so uh, there's so many parallels. Yeah, there yeah. are. I mean, I, I've been uh, kind of excited to talk to you about these these ideas. Yeah. Because you explore them in interesting ways yourself, um, uh, maybe in a different context, but also in the same context. Well, I think I think more more similarly uh, than not, because for instance, uh, I did my graduate work in England. And one of my professors, who was fantastic, we went around and looked at a lot of 18th-century landscapes, mm -hmm. and uh, you know he he drew from sort of 18th-century thinkers about the landscape, which mm -hmm. is you've got some wonderful Thomas Coles in the exhibition. Oh, yeah. You know, I was English. Ask you about that. Yeah, I love Your those pictures. <laughs> I was like, if I could have anything in there, it'd be one of those. You know, yeah. they're fantastic. But you know, Thomas Cole came from England. He really got excited about what he saw in America, the sublimity of the American landscape. And, uh, but, but Professor Baldwin always used to talk about good garden design is good picture making. Mm. And what you're doing is you're sort of framing that picture. You're, um, and, and we used to have to take these cardboard cutouts that were almost like mats, and we would look at the pictures. And that's what these 18th century um, ladies and gentlemen were doing on these estates with the help of people like Bridgman and Brown and, and mm -hmm. Repton and so forth. Wow, that's really exciting. I mean, one of the things that uh, in Nature's Nation, this show uh, yeah. that we have up right now, is really a show about the relationship between art and the environment. Mm -hmm. And it goes back 300 years. Yes, it does. You know, there's a, I also, uh, the art history geek part of us at Crystal Bridges are like, there are, are paintings and objects in this show that are literally a walk through art history, uh, American art history. There are artists, there are actual paintings that rarely leave their home institutions. So like, um, uh, some of the coals. We have some very iconic, you know, uh, Hudson River School painters. Mm, yummy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and can't wait to get in there and see those. There's, uh, there's uh, actually Thomas Cole's sketchbook in there. <gasps> get out. So you're saying framing? Be still my heart. Yeah, hang on. Yeah. It's open where he sketched a, pa uh, yeah. a, a scene and the painting is right next to it. Exactly what I'm talking about, yeah. right? He was capturing those. 
And this really came from the Grand Tour. You know, a lot of these 18th century aristocrats were going on the Grand Tour, mm -hmm. and they were buying up uh, the works of uh, Claude Lorraine, Nicolas Goussaint, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And they really are the progenitors of the English landscape movement, which was this moving away from a very formalistic approach to the landscape to all of nature is a garden, as Alexander Pope said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's really tremendous. You know, some of the, some of the techniques I paint uh, and I also design gardens, and I also love gardens, and I love to see really good gardens. And uh, I've had the good good fortune to spend a lot of time with English garden designers and artists, as well as Dutch. Um, and I know that Pete Oldolf has been here. He's a good friend. He's a Dutch, uh, Dutch I think, painter. I have paints with plants. But, you know, some of the principles that you learn is that, you know, if you want to create a space that feels more expansive, uh, you use a, a different color palette completely. I mean, you're using light greens, you're using blue, you're using purple, you, you're using colors that represent the horizon line, which creates this sense of expansiveness. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you want to create a sense of enclosure or you want to foreshorten a composition, mm -hmm. then you bring in warmer colors. I mean, red being the most arresting that sort of grabs your attention. And so if you're trying to, if you're in trying to create, if you have a garden that's the size of this room mm -hmm. and you want to make it feel larger, what you don't want to plant is something like cardinal flower, which is screaming red, right, right. <laughs> you know, you, but you want to fill it with blue hydrangeas or something like that, you know, that just makes it feel expansive and goes on and on or white. Mm -hmm. like that, yeah. you can I can tell you wrote a book on colors. <laughs> well, and I loved it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, typically I don't. People say, you've written six books, you must love to write. And I say, no, but I, I do love to have written. Yeah. It's nice to have one finished. <laughs> yeah. Well, six is impressive. Right? <laughs> yeah, well, uh -huh. We also have another fun thing that we're doing. Uh, we just redesigned our studio. Uh, which is an art-making studio in our museum. Really? Yeah, it's called, we call it the studio. Now this is news to me. I feel like I try to keep my finger on the pulse of Crystal Bridges, um, but this is a We new. always have something up you our do, sleeve. You do, you <laughs> do. Tell me more. So uh, we've had this, uh, what we call the Experience Art Studio since we opened, mm. um, and we hadn't really changed it since we opened. And um, uh, it, it's a space, uh, for those of you who have been to the museum, for example, it's. Uh, it's kind of uh, right off of the landing where we have uh, down by the pool, the, the pool of water. Um, and it's, very, it's off of one of our galleries uh, as you come down. A lot of people might uh, know the Gabriel Daw uh, plexus string art piece that's in a stairwell. It's kind of down to the bottom of that and over. And so basically it's for anybody that wants to make art to come in and do it. We have activities. We have. We I actually show up this afternoon. Do it. Yeah. Well, you. Hey, you said you're a painter. I'm feeling the urge. <laughs> yeah. We've got all kinds of stuff, and it is for adults as well. It's for all ages. Oh, good. It does. Well, and, I do have an inner child I can release uh -huh. <laughs> and do children's art. In fact, a lot of my art looks like children's art. <laughs> <laughs> You'd fit right in, yeah. right? Good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but we also have these um, a new thing that we call totes, and they're designed to go outside and into the grounds. Um, into the North Forest and other places. They're themed around uh, critters and around plants and leaves and different things uh, that kids can go out and draw um, and do all different kinds of fun things. So the whole idea is that we wanted it to be a place where you can come in, you can make art there inside, or you can take it out because we're really we're really trying to come. And is this open to all the, any attendee who comes to every, or visitor that 
It's open all day. My goodness. During our, our opening hours, it's open. Tonight. Well, that's yet another reason to come see Crystal Bridges yeah. and engage with Crystal Bridges, not just have this arm's length experience, but actually be involved with it. I want to go back just a moment, uh, sort of big, big picture for maybe a lot of our listeners out there um, in, the, in the virtual and television world who may not have been to Crystal Bridges. Uh, just a just a thumbnail history, you know. Moses Shoft, Softy, the architect. Um, you know, there's this wonderful collision between him and Alice Walt, and they love each other. She says, "You're my man." You know, create this here on our family property mm -hmm. in Bentonville. It's probably the only art museum in the world that's uh, resting above water, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, which is very, very interesting in itself. <laughs> it was a challenge um, to build. Yeah, it's quite a challenge, but it's so beautiful. And I think the, 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 the natural landscape, the, the art and nature juxtaposition is what's so powerful here. And you all increasingly are doing a fantastic job of, of, of of helping people understand that. I mean, here we are in this gallery space and behind us, mm -hmm. uh, we're seeing this, this uh, rivulet of water that spills down you know, into a pool. But on either side of that are these amazing Chihuly vertical elements in glass that are all in various shades of blue. Yeah, he calls them reeds. Yeah. You know? yeah. So his, his inspiration is directly from the, the environment as well. Uh, when we had uh, an exhibition of his uh, two years ago, that's how we opened the, no the North Forest, was with the Chihuly um, exhibition. I was here, I remember it. That yeah. was, well, that was a, I fell in love with the boat. And then the boat came back. Yeah, it's out there. <laughs> you know, uh, the, it found its way back. <laughs> it's a funny, a, a funny thing is that, you know, a lot of our, uh, we got a lot of feedback, of course, on those pieces. And so we ended up uh, deciding to acquire the ones that um, our guests love. Yeah, that resonated with, with the uh, visitation. And mode. especially those that were created just for us as well. Yeah. So the sun. Well, the just, sun. Yeah. Yes, we were just back. In we the were forest. watching the sun last night. Or we just cued the sun. We did. It just popped. It just popped out. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> look at all those blue reeds behind us. But the the thing that was so amazing about watching the sun is how it interfaced with nature, the natural world. In that, here we are. The sun is beginning to come over the trees, and you begin to see this play of light on this magnificent sculpture. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were up there with uh, Clay Bacher, and he was talking about the, the I did not realize that that thing came um, unassembled, oh <laughs> I hope with, with directions. And he said it came in a 40 foot, a 40 foot long box 18 wheeler mm -hmm. of all those pieces, each glass piece individually wrapped. Well, when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. You'd have to do that, how you would, transport that thing, I have no idea, but it's absolutely stunning. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the process of installing Chihuly is a really fascinating one. <laughs> Seriously. It's, uh, That's putting a, it politely. Yeah, it takes a lot That's of That's a people. hair puller, I bet. <laughs> oh, man. You know, the most, the most frequent um, question or concern we get about them is, why are you putting them out in an Arkansas forest? Do you know, you know trees fall and Tornadoes happen. Tornadoes happen. And Hail happens. Yeah, deer yeah. may kick it. I don't know. Yeah, you know, right, right. Um, uh, they have a very, very uh, low breakage rate. Like, I think we may have replaced a couple last year yeah. when that was here. Sure. Um, and so a lot of people are very worried about their fragility. Yeah. Um, well, I can see why. Of I mean, course. They, they do look, and that's 
that's part of their allure, I think, isn't yeah. it? It's yeah. kind of like nature itself it in is. some ways. It is, very you know? fragile. There's a fragility to it, yet a complete resilience. There is, yeah. And that's it's something I love about, yeah. especially putting these pieces in nature, like, like behind us here, or the floats that are on the pond in front of us, you know, how they just sort of become one with the water. Yeah. Um, and this, with these you know, dazzling pops of color and, and pattern. Um, emer almost emerging in the water, and then there's the relationship to one another. You know, there's 14 of them out there, so yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of fun to you know. I, ask anybody that works here; they'll tell you that they have moments every day when they're walking around where they'll just stop and look at something. Um, it's pretty wonderful to have that experience uh, in your work environment. Yeah, probably much like your crew and your well, farm. Well, you know, it is. Yes, indeed. You know, we, we I, I believe that beauty is transformative, and I think the more that we we are in nature and we are surrounded by beauty. It, it allows us to transfigure and, and gain a higher level of consciousness and awareness. Mm -hmm. And so that's why coming to a place like this for me is really um, exciting, uh, but, but very humbling in, in a way because it, it does, uh, I think, help me evolve uh, and become, um, uh, yeah, you become, help me reach my higher and better self. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was gonna say, I mean, I figure you've traveled, like you say, you've seen many gardens all over the world yeah. and the country. Yeah. Um, and you've also been to many museums. Yes. Um, how, do, how do you take that experience back to your creative space? What, how would you describe the relationship? Well, of all the museums that I've visited, uh, there, there, there are few, um, few that really integrate nature in the way you all have here. Uh, it, it's very, I mean, in some cases, it's sort of a, oh, it's kind of over here to the side and, you know, we give it a little attention. But here it feels wholly integrated, like from the very beginning. It's like Alice said, look, you know, this place is beautiful. I want a part of it. And Moshe got that, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you know, you're going through and you're seeing all this art. But you're also looking through these windows and you're seeing this beautiful Ozark forest and this beautiful clear water that's running under it. and. It's, it's really a transformative experience. Yeah, it's funny, uh, Moshe, the, one of the things that we do like to tell people on the architecture tour, uh, but I'd love everybody to, to, to get it, I think a lot of people get it, is that the whole purpose of going through the museum in, uh, in, in many ways is to spend you know, time in, with the art, so you go into a gallery. When you move from one gallery to the next, there's a moment where you're, you pass through a portal that, that allows nature to come in. Mm -hmm. So there's a bridge from the first gallery to the second gallery, and then you come down and there will be windows. And then you'll go out on a, what's our bridge gallery. We have two boxes, right, where you go through two different galleries, but then you come back out and you're still surrounded by nature. So there's, there's uh, the entire process and experience of going through a museum is a constant art, nature, art, nature with architecture as your It guide. is, and one of the things that I, I, I use as a designer is this idea of surprise and delight, and you yes. all deliver yes. on surprise and delight. This idea of mystery and being sort of pulled through, oh, I wanna see what's next, I wanna see what's next. Mm -hmm. This constant sort of desire and intrigue to be pulled through and see what awaits you is, I think an element that we often forget, mm -hmm. and, and you certainly have it here, it delivers in spades. I want to go back for a moment, if we could, Stace, and talk just a minute about, so we're talking about 300 years of the impact of really man on um, um, the landscape and art. Mm -hmm. uh, it's more complicated than that. 
But let's talk about the future. What, do, what does this exhibition say to those who come through and see it and say, how, how do we need to look at our landscape going mm -hmm. forward? And what, what, help, help me understand that. Well, the, uh, the exhibition's organized in three different parts. And uh, the first, it's roughly chronological. And so the first part is kind of looking back to the, the, the early years, right, of sure. the European uh, conquest, colonization and thing, but also those moments where uh, the fascination with the pristine landscape, with the, the westward expansion. Right. Um, so there's that first part that's really about um, uh, thinking about the almost um, idyllic kind of idea yeah. um, and uh, reverence for, the, for nature and the landscape. We there was this whole idea of utopian societies, yes. uh, the idea of the noble savage, and the, all these things really uh, resonated with, with the Europeans. Very much so, yeah. yeah. And, and that translated into their art. Then, and there was also you know, this sort of uh, mythology of westward expansion, of the manifest destiny, so yeah, to speak, of right. that kind of concept. Sure. Then we get into uh, a section that really starts looking at industrialization. Um, and how industrialization, whether they're urban environments or that westward expansion, um, the, the kind of mythos of the buffalo, but the fact, there's probably one of the most disturbing images in this entire exhibition is a, is a picture that you'll see of uh, a couple of guys standing next to this huge heap of buffalo skulls. Um, and so that is sort of about the near eradication of that animal, that species, um, at that time. And so one of the things it does is it has, as we move through it, we're constantly kind of in awe of nature, uh, but the artists are also asking us to reflect on our practice in nature. And so this idea of do we own it? Are we the top of the, the level, right? Uh, that, that then as we get towards the end, you start seeing this, these artists also trying to um, grapple with, well, climate change, right? And how it is that um, the decisions that we're making now or not uh, will have lasting impact for our future. Um, and they that- They absolutely do. And everybody and every decision they make every day makes an impact on that. It does. And yeah, so- We all have a responsibility. I, I can't wait for you to see that show. Uh, it's, it's really wonderful. And then we're, we're standing here where we're at now is sort of a reflection space where we have a lot of information uh, about um, land conservation, energy conservation, gardening and food sources, mm -hmm. water quality, things like that, uh, and how people can sort of uh, uh, become involved or, or learn more. If you want to go back a moment to that sort of transformation of the landscape and what man's impact on that uh, has created, I mean, just the almost extinct extinction of the bison mm -hmm. uh, and the elk. I mean, in this, literally here, in this county, Benton County, Arkansas, mm -hmm. um, in the early 19th century, there were bison, there, there were elk, mm -hmm. and uh, there are no bison today. Uh, the elk had to be restored. Mm -hmm. And there were open meadows that were apart. And what happened is, uh, as I was always taught, nature abhors a garden or an mm. open space and it begins to reforest over right. time. But it was because of those animals that we had these open spaces and there was a different ecosystem here at that time. Mm. But then as we began to move these, uh, uh, well, just, well, destroy the, these um, genetic pools of these animals and push them further west and then eventually almost eradicate them mm. in the west, um, that changed the landscape. Yeah, and it's funny, uh, some of the more poignant artists in the uh, in the exhibition are indigenous artists, who are who are kind of pointing a lens back 
on, on that idea. Oh, we, yeah. You well, know, I, we, certainly the pile of buffalo skulls. Yes. Speaks to yes. That. And, uh, you know, they, they you know, remind, uh, remind all of us that uh, people were here at that time mm. in those um, environments with the buffalo, with the, the prairies, savannas, and, and the things you were just mentioning that they were here before we were. Absolutely. Um, and so it becomes, uh, that conversation I think is really rich and valuable and poignant. Um, uh, and again, I, I should mention that the, the, the exhibition was organized by Princeton Muse, um, Museum of Art, so Princeton University Museum of Art. They're the ones that originated this, uh, this exhibition. And so uh, the catalog that goes with it is very rich in terms of scholarship and history, um, art history. You'd love it. Mm. Um, and I'm, look, I'm coming for John's lecture. <laughs> excellent, yeah. excellent. Yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful, beautiful, um, at times haunting exhibition, to be honest. Um, but it, uh, it is filled with beauty. When I lived in England, um, I went to the University of Manchester. And what was so interesting about being in that, at that point in the mid 80s, it was a, it was sort of a, the, it was a relic of the Industrial Revolution. The Industrial Revolution started there. Right. So in a way, it was the most powerful landscape, mm -hmm. uh, you know, given what it was at that time, a mm -hmm. derelict, you know, uh, in post-industrial shell. Um, but that's where it all started. Mm -hmm. And so that made a powerful impact on me. Um, mm -hmm. the, and Frederick Law Olmsted comes into, in the 1840s, comes into Liverpool. He wants to see mm. Manchester, Liverpool, this industrial part, and then he walks across England, which impacts him hugely mm. on his work um, as a landscape artist, a father of lands American landscape architecture, does Central Park, built more, on and on and on. Exactly, yeah. yeah. In fact, we have a large map of uh, Central Park that he drew. Yes. In the I, I, I saw that on the website. Yes, it's kind of can't geek. wait to see that. Yeah, yeah. see, it's like uh, geeks, geeks and nerds like us with you know, art, <laughs> and art and nature. It really is a wonderful show. Um, but to your point, actually, I was gonna being a, a student of English garden uh, in a place where industrialization was born. What was that juxtaposition like? Uh, being in a place where you're you're looking, you're pretty much surrounded by a very industrial. Uh, culture, sensibility, even environment, architecturally, um, and then simultaneously you're, you're studying like the history of the English garden. Well, I was there actually to, to look at the 18th century landscape. I was there 200 years uh, to, the, to the day, literally, when Jefferson and Adams uh, made a tour of English gardens in 1786. Um, and so I was looking at English landscapes that were really just prior to the Industrial Revolution. So it was really interesting to see this industrial shell called Manchester, the core of Manchester, which is right on Oxford Road where the university was. Literally walk through that. That was our first, the first thing we did in our course was to make a walk all day long through just the canals and so mm -hmm. forth of Manchester. But what, it, what it, the impact it had on me was what we've done uh, to not only society in the way in which workers were managed and so forth. I mean, Ingalls comes there and writes part of the Communist Manifesto right. and that's really because of the way workers were being treated. But also just the, um, the, the how, how poorly it was managed, resources and things like that. It was all about the money 
um, and, um, and then to step away and go and be privy to these estates and walk these estates with the, with the landowners who, who had had them for thou literally, you know, a thousand years prior to, it was really quite an ex a juxtaposition to see sort of pre-industrial through the Je eyes of Jefferson and Adams and then be in the middle of the post-industrial revolution right there in the middle of Manchester, yeah. It's kind of, it's interesting how, a, a, kind of going back to how we like to place art, architecture, and nature together, it's like uh, being placed in those interesting uh, ambiguities, juxtapositions, I guess you could say, um, really produce a, a, a really interesting lens to think about the world. Well, when I went to England, I had in my mind, oh, I want to go and see these beautiful idyllic landscapes with sheep grazing and all this sort of thing that we think about. And then where did I end up? I ended up in the core of the Industrial Revolution, the bowels of it. And it was a wake up for me. It was a really wonderful thing at the end after I went, you know, as I began to realize where I was and I was, had this unique vantage point to just see, because this was a force. We're still feeling the force of this Industrial Revolution that we starts sure at the end of the 18th century. And it just, I mean, you look at the paintings by Turner of, of uh, I mean, a lot of his work is inspired by the Industrial Revolution, the big fire, coal fires and all this sort of thing skies, going on. Yeah. Skies and everything. It's yeah. very exciting stuff to see how he integrates science and what's going on and everybody's just so preoccupied with learning more and more about how to handle metallurgy and all these, you know, all these different things that uh, were a part of the growth of the industrial world. Yeah. We have, uh, there are a couple paintings in here that are, are, are scenes, they're industrial scenes, mm. um, that are also pretty wonderful. Uh, George Bellows, there's a very famous painting called Cliff Dwellers, mm. that, where he paints basically a, a block of a tenement in New York City, uh, I think uh, 1910 or somewhere in that, in that range, and kind of shows the population density of the time. And Probably very similar to what Manchester looked like in the, in the 1880s and 90s. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, people falling over each other, living on top of each other, and exactly uh, close quarters, and working very hard with, yeah. Well, as a result of that, uh, the first public <coughs> park uh, was was created called Birkenhead Park, just very near Liverpool, and I think that's one of the things that really inspired Olmsted because he goes to see this, and it was uh, the it, it was it was seen that the the working class needed a place to be in nature. This was the first public park in, in, in Western, the Western world. Wow, in Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, called Bergenhead Park. Very interesting. Well, I am so excited about being here again uh, and also uh, having a chance to go through and walk through the gallery and then get out there and look at color space. Thank you for having us. Well, it's always our pleasure to host. Yeah. Come anytime you like. Wonderful. Thank you so much. All and right. thank you all for joining us today. Very good. All right. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Today's show is brought to you by Gilbert H. Wild and Son, Sun Patience, Arkansas Parks and Tourism, Ralston Family Farms, First Community Bank, and Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art. For more information, log on to pallensmith.com. And for a video replay of this podcast, subscribe to P. Allen Smith's YouTube channel and sign up for notifications.